Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Today, we're going to look at a character from the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And to start, I want to say a word about how to read the Bible and how to read the book of Judges in particular, because it's kind of a strange book for us. Uh, Often in our day, people kind of think of the Bible as a dull book, mostly about morals. Uh, It would not have been read that way by its original audience. Uh, The book of Judges was to that audience a lot like what an action movie would be to us in our day. So this is how we should kind of get ready for this story. Uh, From the Marvel superhero universe, if you know that at all, and for this story, you want to think about two characters in particular. Uh, Iron Man, who has an impenetrable suit made of iron, and Thor, uh, the great Scandinavian superhero, and his super weapon. Do you know what it is? A hammer. So keep that in mind. Iron Man and Thor with his hammer. In Judges, a lot like in an action movie, the heroes are basically fighting for the good side, but they're very flawed. And they're often prone to anger and sometimes to ego. And the action is often dark and morally complex and ambiguous. People sometimes don't understand the biblical writers are very capable of giving clear moral instruction when it's time to do that. And so they do that. But in narrative, they often make the reader work through what's good and what's bad and what's mixed because human life is very, very mixed. In the book of Judges, the bad guys are really bad. Uh, There's a moral arc to the universe, but it often looks very precarious. And the darkness of human actions is showed very clearly, uh, partly to show what's at stake in God's world. Uh, The book of Judges would have been read with the same kind of excitement and delight by ancient audiences that we get in a great movie about Thor or Iron Man or whoever. But with the knowledge that behind the scenes, God is at work in actual human history. These are not comic book characters. To to ever so slowly teach Israel and eventually uh, humanity that there is a moral and spiritual reality underneath this world and that finding it and conforming to it is the ultimate battle for you and me in our world. That's the book of Judges, kind of like an action movie with really deep stuff going on underneath. So here's the situation for our story. Uh, God has delivered Israel from slavery, from Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, They went through the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, They've now been brought into the promised land They don't have any kings yet, and they have a problem. This is Judges chapter 4. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a reoccurring cycle in the book of Judges. Uh, Israel was brought into the promised land. 
but it gets idolatrous and corrupt. Uh, God gives them over to their enemies. They suffer. In their suffering, they cry out, God, help us. Uh, God will send a deliverer called a judge in this book, and Israel gets liberated, and they experience uh, peace and then prosperity. And then they get self-sufficient, and they forget about God, and they get idolatrous, and this cycle just keeps going over and over and over. And that's the the point of the whole book of Judges. And it gets darker and darker and darker. And we'll look at what happens in one particular cycle. They're idolatrous, they forget about God, uh, they're corrupt, and then Judges 4.2. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, the Canaanites are bad guys in this story. Uh, in a, a good story, there's often an image that recurs that you want to watch out for, and that's the case here. Uh, they're sold and given over into the hand. So the hand is like a, a theme or an image that we need to watch out for in the story. King Jabin had a general named Sisera. Uh, Sisera is like the, the arch villain in this piece. So think like uh, Hitler or Bin Laden or Stalin or someone like that. Because he, Sisera, had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So the bad guys have Iron Age technology. And this is relevant because Israel does not at this point in its history. Iron chariots are the problem. If you don't have iron, iron is the enemy that you cannot defeat. You face iron chariots on your own and you're going to lose every time. General Sisera is kind of like Iron Man, <laughs> only he's the bad guy. Uh, Sisera was cruel. Uh, oppressive and vile in ways that uh, we will not fully understand until we get to the end of this passage. So Israel is in trouble. Israel needs a hero. Israel needs someone of tremendous strength and invincible courage and unconquerable faith. Israel needs someone who would rather die than grovel. And in the hill country of Israel, there is such a hero. Now, Deborah a prophet, the wife of, of Labadoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak. Now, this is very interesting. Israel is being led by the, uh, into this crisis by a woman. Uh, sometimes people think, according to the Bible, women are not supposed to lead men, but here she is. Sometimes people think it's okay for women to lead in certain limited areas, but at home, they're to be led by their husbands. Well, here, the text tells us quite deliberately, Deborah was the, the wife of Lapidoth. So a little syllogism for those of you who are into logic. First, Deborah was leading Israel. Secondly, Lapidoth, her husband, was part of Israel. Therefore, Deborah was leading Lapidoth, her husband. And that was God's choosing. And I wonder how she responded when God called her. I wonder if any part of her said, no, God, I can't do this. You know, uh, this is for boys. 
God said, I know what I'm doing. I made women just like I made men. And I'm not calling your husband to do this. I'm not calling Gideon to do this. I'm not calling Joshua. I'm not calling Samson. I'm not calling any of them. I'm calling you, Deborah. You're the one I want. Do you know God is calling you right now? Male or female, it doesn't matter. God has a great battle for you to engage in. It may or may not look dramatic to anyone else, but it's there. I wonder what you're saying to your call from God to that battle. God calls Deborah to be a warrior. In the book of Judges, that's what they are. They're primarily warriors. But it's very interesting, in this text, we're told that she's also a prophet. And that was not a normal case. She's a great warrior leader, and she's also a great prophet. Not only that, she's the only judge in this book who actually settles disputes. When we think of a judge, normally we think of a, a courtroom figure in a robe. Uh, that wasn't so much the case in this book, but it was for Deborah. She's the only one who hearkens back to Moses where the people would bring their disputes and Deborah settles them. She's a warrior and she's a prophet and we'll see how that plays out later on. And she's deciding their cases. <laughs> she's a multitasker. Uh, I'll sometimes have conversations with people about multitasking. Is multitasking a good thing or is it not a good thing? Uh, personally, I don't like it. Uh, I like single tasking, uh, maybe because I'm a man and I don't have to multitask like a lot of women I know. Anyway, we're told Deborah sends for Barak. Uh, Barak is the general in Israel. In the book of Judges, uh, as was often the case in ancient literature and still in our day, uh, to send for someone is the act of a person who is assuming authority, who is in power. Being a woman, you might expect Deborah to go to Barak and tactfully offer a suggestion. You know, make him think it was his idea. You know how men are. But she doesn't do this. She's leaning in. She is a formidable character. She tells Barak to, to take 10,000 soldiers to the Kishon River. There's, this is an old dried up wadi. Um, she says, General Sisera will be there, evil Iron Man with his 900 evil iron chariots. But don't worry, General Barak, because God has told her that God will deliver Sisera into Barak's hands. And there's that word hand again. The audience would be loving this. And the audience would expect, of course, Barak, Israel's general, is going to be the hero. This is going to be the moment when Thor picks up his hammer and says game on and goes after it. But Barak does not say game on. He says something no one would have been expecting at this point. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Really? A girl? The girls can't fight. I mean, there are whole books by Christian authors in our day who say boys are made by God to be warriors and girls are made by God to be beauties. Boys fight to rescue. Well, it turns out the Bible is not one of those books. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. That word hands again. In any great action story, you know about this, the final showdown 
has to be between the hero and the villain, the good guy and the bad guy, Batman versus Joker, David versus Goliath. Superman has to be the one to get rid of Lex Luthor, not Lois Lane for crying out loud. Like Lois Lane is gonna be the rescuee, not the rescuer. But here in this odd story in the Bible, Barak is not going to be the hero at all. In fact, the hero is going to be a woman. And the listeners, the audience would expect at this point, well, I guess the hero must be Deborah to swatch. Barak calls the troops. Deborah goes up with him as he asks. The armies are in place. The battle is about to begin. Everyone is waiting for this moment. It's like we're watching a movie. There's this big climactic battle and everyone is just paused with bated breath here because there is going to be this epic battle and this is gonna be really good. The huge battle, uh, the bad guys are gonna get what's coming to them, like blood and gore and spears and horses and maiming and gouging and beheaded death. Except it's not, it's not what happened. They, know, they all know it's coming, but it doesn't. Here's the next line in the story. Now Haber the Kenite pitched his tent by the great tree. And the audience is thinking, who in the world cares about whoever Haber the Kenite is and why he's pitching his tent someplace? The story gets even stranger. There's a battle. Israel wins the battle against General Sisera, but the battle doesn't hardly get described here at all. In fact, it's not until the next chapter, until what's called the Song of Deborah, that we find out that God sent a rainstorm into that wadi and the Kishon River, which gets flooded, actually affects those iron chariots General Sisera is so proud of. They become the liability instead of an asset, and the floods wipe those guys away and they lose the battle. The good guys win. That's what happens, but it hardly gets described here. To make matters worse, General Sisera, the arch villain in this piece, the bad guy, gets away on foot and he comes to a tent, the tent of jail, who is the wife of Haber, the Kenite, another woman in the story of great battles. Now the Kenites were not part of Israel. They were not good guys. They were tent dwellers. They were considered nomads. Uh, the word in our culture would be something like hillbillies or gypsies, a pejorative term, like polite people wouldn't use it. They were blacksmiths, which means they would have been the ones who made the iron chariots that were being used by General Sisera and the bad guys. The tribe had an alliance with the bad guys. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. So he expects he's entitled to her generosity. So he says, I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. She actually gives him milk, which would have been an act of generosity, and she covers him with a blanket. And if you ever watch movies, you know anytime someone goes to sleep and another person uh, covers them with a blanket, that that's kind of a tender moment. It's always done to demonstrate compassion. It's like there's the a compassion of heart of the one who's spreading the blanket. And so we understand this woman, Jael, has a tender heart. Sisera said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent. He told her, if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. 
So he says, stand guard and lie for me if need be, because Sisera knows it would take a man, it would take quite a man um, to bring him down. Sisera has had his milk. He's covered up with a blanket. He falls asleep. Cue the lullaby. He's taking a nap. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quickly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. Like scrawny little hillbilly lady, not even part of Israel, picks up the mighty hammer. Like Thor turns out to be a girl. Who knew? She picks up a tent peg and drives the nail into the evil general's temple through his skull, into his brain, clear out through the back of his skull and into the ground. And this is in the Bible. In case you're wondering how serious this injury might have been, the text says she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Like, no kidding. Like, maybe the three most unnecessary words in all of the Bible. In case anyone missed this, in the next verse, Barak comes by the tent and Jael invites him into her tent. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. In case anyone wasn't paying attention to that, here's what we read in the next chapter, in the, the poetic summary that's called the Song of Deborah. Uh, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. This is in the Bible. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At, at her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Like, is anyone unclear on what happened to Sisera here? What a shock to Sisera. Because he knew only a man could take him down. I think the last thing that went through his mind, other than the tent peg, was the thought that he had been defeated by a woman. And not just a woman. Jail is called, in the Bible, the most blessed of women. And you have to understand, the audience is thrilled. I mean, this is a dark story. This is a bloody story. But the audience is cheering. Why? Because evil doesn't win. Because the injustice of the powerful does not have the last word. Because for all of the darkness and ambiguity, there is a moral arc to the universe. If you want to know how vile Sisera's oppression was, uh, we get a glimpse of it at the very end of chapter 5, Deborah's song. Uh, it's a very artfully constructed piece. It's thought to be one of, if not the oldest passage in all of the Old Testament. She imagines what happened back at Sisera's home when he doesn't come back. She creates this little fictional moment where Sisera's mom, the general's mom, is waiting and looking out the window for her son to come back home but he doesn't. One of the servants says to her, Sisera and the boys must be enjoying the plunder of winning the war as they always did. Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man. A woman or two for each man. That's how Sisera rolls. 
You see, the act of assaulting innocent women who are made and loved by God has been a frequent part of war from the beginning of time. And it goes on today in our world, in our enlightened world. Scholar Mark Thompson said that sexual assault continues to be used as a strategic tool of war and genocide in our world. 80% of all refugees and displaced persons of war are women, a woman or two for each man. These were real people who lived thousands of years ago with real daughters and sisters and moms. You know, in the Hebrew, it's even more graphic. It would literally be translated a womb or two for each man, just a body part, a womb or two for each man. You see, that's what sin does. That's what evil does. That's what this man Sisera and his soldiers do. And that's part of what God was saving his people from. That's why the people are cheering, not this time, God says. The end of Judges 5 says, then the land had peace for 40 years. Now, this is just one story of many stories that would come to involve exile and suffering over which God would show Israel and humanity that our real battle is fought most often with prayer and suffering love, not tent pegs and hammers. But the darkness of this world and this battle goes on. A Christian scholar named Elaine Storkey has written a book called Scars Across Humanity, Understanding and Overcoming Violence Against Women. This is our world today, not Deborah's. She writes this, Acts of violence to women aged between 15 and 44 across the globe produce more deaths, disability, and mutilation than cancer, malaria, and traffic accidents combined. From selective abortion to domestic abuse to genital mutilation to sexual assault, it is epidemic in our world and often deeply embedded in cultures. You see, the need for heroes has not passed. And maybe God is calling you to be a Deborah. In 2017, allegations about the abuse of power by a man named Harvey Weinstein to intimidate and violate and silence young women began a whole movement. An actress named Alyssa Milano asked those who had experienced sexual assault to use the hashtag MeToo. And within minutes, social media was flooded with millions of stories every one of them with a name and a face behind them, every one of them. And you would think the church would be the greatest champion for women, but often you'd be wrong. A study cited by Elaine Storkey found that 95% of Christian women who go to Christian churches say they have never heard a sermon declaring abuse is wrong. And sometimes the church has been worse than silent. There's a prominent Christian leader who said if a woman is being physically abused by her husband, that woman should remain in the home and submit to further violence. Are you kidding me? Like That is not biblical. It is not godly. It is not Christ-like. It is not God's will. It is not right. If you're in a marriage or a relationship and there is physical aggression and you are the victim of abuse, you need to get out. You need to get safe. Talk to a pastor at Blue Oaks. We will help you. It is not right. Violence against victims is evil. It's wrong. The abuse of power for sexual gratification is evil and wrong. It is against God's will. And the church ought to be the first and the loudest to say so. 
We live in a world of injustice and darkness and sin. And that's part of what the book of Judges paints in a way that makes us very uncomfortable. The writer of scripture intends for that to be the case. And they all agree that we are in this great battle in this world. I wonder what battle God is calling you to fight. It's probably not gonna involve a hammer and 10 pegs, probably not. God was on a long journey to teach the human race about the real battle. And it took a long time in exile and it took a long time in suffering and it reached its peak many centuries later with a man named Jesus, who by the way, freely laid aside his superpowers. A big Roman soldier picked up a hammer and a nail and drove a nail through each one of those hands. There's that little image of a hand again because the real battle was won by a nail-scarred hand on the cross. Jesus won that battle, not by inflicting violence and hate, not the way that we think our action movies are going to be won, but by bearing it, by bearing violence and hate. Now that's a story. His father raised him up on the third day, and now we are a part of that battle scene. If you follow him, you are a part of that battle. It wages out there in this world, but it also wages in here, that battle between good and evil inside every one of us. Paul puts it like this, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. There are, they are real and they are iron chariots and you cannot defeat them on your own and neither can I. What battle is Jesus calling you to? Maybe your battle is against addiction. It's a worthy battle. And I know there's darkness there. Maybe God is calling you to fight a battle against anxiety or depression. Like some of the great heroes I know and admire and love are fighting that battle and no one knows outside of God. Maybe you're fighting to save a marriage or to reconcile a relationship with your child. Maybe God is calling you to stand with the most vulnerable for people who are experiencing homelessness and so uh, often in our culture, the shame that goes with it. Or for suffering immigrants or for frightened children, or for the unborn, or for veterans in a hospital who everyone has forgotten. What you need to know when you're called to that battle is that you do not fight alone. There's a wonderful ending to this story. Chapter five is called the Song of Deborah. Chapter four tells us the story in ju of Judges, and then chapter five is called The Song of Deborah. It's a whole chapter. Uh, by the way, guess who wrote The Song of Deborah? It's not a trick question. Uh, take a wild guess. Deborah, like that's a woman, and it's the fifth chapter of Judges. In other words, it's part of the Bible. In other words, part of the Bible was written by a woman named Deborah. It's called The Song of Deborah. And song is kind of a theological reflection. It's not like a uh, like a tune on the radio. It's not like it goes, oh, Sisera is dead. They nailed him in the head. It's not that kind of song. It's an expression of theological reflection to reveal the deep spiritual truth about what has been going on in the world. This is what Deborah 
is saying in this song of Deborah, it was God who fought the battle. It was God who gave the victory. The mountains quaked before God, the Lord of Israel. The final words of Deborah, chapter five, are, but may all who love you, Lord, be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Not may all who sit in powerful offices with great titles. Not may all who drive luxurious cars and live in giant homes. Not may all who command vast amounts of wealth. No, there is another kingdom. But may all who love the Lord be like the sun when it rises in its strength. For God loves to use people who our world thinks are marginal. His strength is made perfect in weakness. There is a big God. There's a really big God, bigger than old General Sisera and bigger than his chariots of iron, bigger than your addiction, bigger than your failure, bigger than your disease, bigger than your problem, I promise you, bigger than oppression, bigger than injustice, bigger than evil. And he will give you the courage if you ask, and he will give you the wisdom if you ask, and he will give you the love if you ask him. There is a great battle. There's a great battle and this is your day and you do not fight alone. So show up for the battle, be a hero. All right, let me pray for you. God, you have called some of us to be in this battle in specific areas that we see in our lives, maybe in our church, maybe in our society. And God, I pray that you would give us the resources and the strength and the courage, the wisdom that you gave to Deborah to fight the battle that you gave her to fight. And we may we experience the same kind of victory over the battles. Maybe they're just battles in our own heart, in our own mind, but will you help us to find victory over those battles in our lives and in our church and in our society? And would you use us uh, to accomplish your great purposes in this world. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.